We want to thank you for being a part of our new series, Together. Throughout this series, we're going to take a look at the incredible bond, love, and devotion we can experience in our marriages and home, understanding the bliss God wants us to live in. So sit back and listen, and allow God's Word to change your life. Come on, come on, shout with me today, together. Come on, you could do better than that, together. So excited about this series that we're going to be going through um, for the rest of this month. Just talking about together, really speaking into your lives, speaking into your marriage, speaking into your relationships, into your home and into your future. And and we just realize this and, and we just want you to know this, that God's word works. Wherever you may find yourself in life, God's Word works. I was really shocked, amazed, blown away this week that I read a statistic that says that there are less than one third of Christian couples use the Bible to resolve conflict. How many of us would say today we believe in the Word of God? Come on, how many would say, I believe in the Word of God? And hopefully that's 100% of you. But you know what statistics say? Less than a third of us, when it comes to conflict in our home, we turn to God's Word for the answers. That's sad. And if we're not turning to the truth, then what are we getting? The untruth, the no truth, and we're going to have problems in our lives. So, so just really, really remember that. And we're just turning to God's Word and just believing for God to do great things in our lives. Look what it says in our scripture. Here's our theme scripture that we're going to be using. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 6 says these words, the last part. Therefore, what God has joined... Thank you. Aminga's paying attention with me. Therefore, what God has joined to, let not man separate. Let nothing, let no one, nothing is to come between us. But the Bible says that we are to become one, 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 one. I want to read this account, something that I read this week from the Blessed Marriage book by Robert uh, Morrison. It says these words. I remember one day having a discussion with my wife and it escalated to a point far beyond where it should have been. Now, I know no one else has been there, but obviously they were. We were just going at it and somehow in the midst of it all, I heard God speak to me and he said to me, shut up. And now he writes, I know that some of you may be offended that God talks to me like that, but he has to because I am so hard-headed many times. Anyway, God told me to shut up. And of course, I responded with, but, 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 but. And God said to me again, shut up. So I argued, but God, you know I'm right. And I will never forget his response. God said to me, Do you want to be right or do you want to be right with your wife? Did you catch that today? Do you want to be right or do you want to be right with your spouse? You cannot have it both ways. It cannot work both ways. In fact, here's what we've discovered. Look at this. In marriage, when one wins, both loses. When one wins, well, I showed her. Well, I taught him a lesson. Guess what? No one wins. 
because you both lose. You cannot celebrate your victories because your victory is the loss of the two of you as a couple. And that's why today I want to talk to you about dying in marriage kind of a strange title. Some of you probably read the email this week and thought, man, what is he going to talk about? How dying in marriage? But I really believe that we're going to see tonight, that, or today rather, that from death can come life into your home. That from dying to your selfish ambitions, because what we're not talking about is we're not talking about your marriage dying. Statistics tell us today that one in two marriages are going to fail. That is horrific. That's 50% of marriages today, including Christian relationships, they say are destined to fail. We heard about statistics last week. Statistics is something that paints a picture of what went behind. We're changing what goes ahead of us. Come on. We don't have to be a part of statistics. We can rewrite what people are saying. And we can believe that. But we're not talking about our marriages dying. And we're not even talking about ourselves dying in our marriage in the fact of us being miserable. How many knows a lot of people who are dead in their marriage? In not a good way. They turn around and they are absolutely miserable. They are depressed. Nothing's going good. That's not what we're talking about. How many say, glad about that? But what we are talking about is dying to our pride. Dying to our selfishness, dying from our rights so that we can truly being one. Because I believe until we can die in our marriage, until we can give in to what we want and what we think and we can put our spouse before us, until we can come to that place of death in our marriage, we're never going to see true life. But as we die in marriage, we're going to live. You know what it's like as a child of God? What do we believe? We believe that when we die, we're going to go and be in heaven with God. We believe that through death, it's not the end, but we're going to be in paradise with God. We believe the same true in your marriage, that as you die to self, that you can live in heaven on earth. That you can have heaven here on earth, which is fully possible when we die to ourselves, when we lay down our rights and we put our spouse before us. Last week we talked about a marriage in the image of God. And I know just to make that statement, it's, it's kind of tough if you weren't here last week. You really need to hear the message, get the CD on your way out, listen on the podcast, on the website. But what we talked about is that our marriage should show forth God. That in the way that we interact together as a couple, people should see God in that. We should be a walking, talking testimony unto God in the way we act with each other. We have some work to do, but that's where God wants us to be. We know what the image of marriage has become, but we want it to be what God intended for it to be. And in that image of God, we see something else. We see how it is possible or how Jesus made it possible for us to have a relationship with him. Jesus made it possible for us to be in relationship with him because he died for us. He willingly gave his life. He went to the cross. He laid down his life. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he gave his spirit up to God. Man did not take his life. He willingly gave it. And because of that, or through that giving, that sacrifice and death, He made it possible, what? That you and I can live. 
Come on, we can live now. We know the thief comes to kill, to steal and destroy. But God says, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. So through his death and resurrection, guess what? We can place our lives in that, that we can die. Come on, when we come to God, we've got to say, God, I need you. I can't do it on my own. We've got to surrender and yield our lives. We've got to lay down our lives to him. And when we do that, guess what happens? We enter into life. We struggle with this many times. We don't want to yield our lives. We don't want to give our lives. We don't want to surrender our lives because I won't be in control anymore. Exactly. That's what dying is all about. You not being in control, but now allowing God to be in control of your life and for Him to help you, to change you and to transform you. And that is what must happen in every one of our marriages. Now, I know every one of you are not married today. I know some of you are perhaps engaged, you're dating, you're in a relationship, you want to be married. You still need to hear this. Some of you are single and you don't know if you'll ever be married. You need to hear this. We talked to the single people on Wednesday night. Someone put their hand up and said, I'm this old and I don't think anyone would want me. I said, listen, you've got to remember there's other people your age who are single or who are looking for someone. But the deal is this, you can complain about where you're at and that you're not going to make it. I said, you've got to present yourself. Come on, brush your head. Clean your teeth. Look good. Serve in the church. Throw yourself out there. Come on. Make yourself appealing to other people so they'll want to be with you. So wherever you're at, don't shut me off today and say you're not speaking to me or you're not dealing with me because I'm telling you right now, you need to die. You need to get these things that we're going to talk about. In fact, I think you're at an advantage if you're not married because you can work on these things and prepare before you get married because it's a lot easier to be programmed than have to be reprogrammed. So please don't shut us off. We want you to hear and how we can die to ourselves, but yet the life that it can produce in our homes, in our marriages, and in our life. You know, they tell us the number one problem with marriage counseling today is this. It's counseling two living people. What do I mean by that? It's counseling of individuals that want it their way. Well, I want it this way, and I want them to do this. And and if I don't get it this way, then it's no way at all. And two individuals, individuals that come to the office and say, you know what, our marriage would be perfect if they would just do everything I say. Our marriage would be perfect if they could just be like me and think like me and act like me. Our marriage would be absolute bliss. You know, we wouldn't need any counseling if we both died. We wouldn't need any counseling. If we each put ourselves, what? Before, not each other, but we put each other before ourselves. That their thoughts, their feelings, what they want, their needs, that we would die to what we want and we would be alive to what they need. We wouldn't need counseling. You see, when a husband decides to die for his wife and a wife decides to die for her husband, all the problems are solved. Look at your neighbor and say, all the problems are solved. Come on, it's solved. Come on, if I die, look at your neighbor and say, if I die, problem solved. Come on, problem. I know some of you are probably thinking, yeah, I wish they would die. No, 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 that's not the thought we're thinking. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Keep holy in church. Come on, keep holy in church. Come on. But the problems would be solved if we would just die to our pride, to our selfishness, to our sin, to our indifference, to our hardness of heart. 
and we will just allow God to rule and reign. But you see, it's not a just a one-off. Wouldn't it be great if today I got everyone to stand? You don't have to stand. But wouldn't it be great today if we got everyone to stand and say, today I, I die to myself. I will never be selfish again in my life. I will always put someone before me and I will never. Wouldn't it be great if we could all stand up and say amen to that and be, oh, for the rest of our lives. and never? How many knows that dying is a continual thing? you got to die every day. Sometimes, many times during the day. you got to continually die. We, we used that story in the last service about the young boy who sold his mower to this old guy. And, and the, the guy couldn't get the mower started. And, and the little boy said, well, there's a secret. you just got to curse at it. And the guy said, well, I can't do that. I'm a minister in my church. And the little boy said, just keep pulling. It will come back to you. Come on, just keep pulling. Just keep pulling. Just keep pulling. It's going to come. How many realizes that the old stuff starts to come back every now and again? You can just be driving along and all of a sudden you get a text and all of a sudden the old man begins to rise inside of you. Come on, he wants to live. That pride will begin. Well, I'm better than that. I'm right. And I'm. come on, you've got to push that. You've got to continually die to yourself. Come on, it's a daily The Bible speaks about our relationship with God as a daily walk. How much more should our relationship be with our spouse and those around? That we keep it daily, that we keep it fresh, that we keep it dead. And I want to talk about that today. But first we must understand this. And that is this. Marriage is not a contract. Marriage is not a contract. That's what it's become. That's what we have made it today. That's the image of what marriage has become, but it's not the plan, it's not the purpose, it's not the design that God intended it to be. Think about a contract. Let's just talk about a contract for a moment. Say you're buying a house. What do you do? You sign a mortgage. Or if you're buying a car, what do you do? You sign a loan agreement, pages and pages and pages. Kelly and I bought a house like a year and a half ago, and I think we've still got writer's cramp a year and a half on. How many pages you've got to sign, and you've got to do it this way and that way. And what are you signing? You're signing all types of agreements and statements that you are, that you are going to fulfill your end of the bargain. You are signing an agreement that says, what? That I'm going to be good for this. And I'm going to take responsibility and I'm going to accept the consequences if I fail to do everything that is specified and everything that is required. So the goal of every contract is this, to protect the rights of both parties involved. Which means, in the following terms or agreement, everything will be as stated if one of you or if both of you does everything that you say you will do. But if one of the parties relinquishes their responsibilities or breaks the agreement, guess what? The contract can be terminated, can be void. What happens if you stop fulfilling the agreement that you made on paying for your house? It's not going to be long before what? They're going to what? Put a foreclosure on your home and they're going to come and take the keys from you. If you stop making payments on your car, it's not going to be long before you wake up in the morning. You realize your car's not in the yard anymore because they've come and they've repossessed your car during the night. Why? Because you made an agreement that you were going to hold up to your end of the bargain. But when you fail to do so, the consequences are going to be seen. There's going to be a result that takes place. So this is how a contract in a marriage would look. Don't ask too much of me. I still have the right to do my own decisions. I will not give up my life. 
This marriage requires more than I am willing to give and I'm out of here. That's what many contracts or many marriages look like today. There's an escape clause. There's a back door. There's a dinghy. I often laugh about this. Have you ever seen those big yachts? You've seen those big boats they have? And on the back of those big boats or in the water behind them, there's a little rubber dinghy. Anyone ever seen that? What is that for? That's just in case the big ship goes down. You've got a, an escape route. Come on. It's like a life preserver. Yeah, you can have fun in it. Well, you know, I heard a story once about a lady. She's getting married. The husband's standing at the front like they do. She's walking down the aisle. And as she's walking down the aisle, she's pulling behind her a dinghy, a rubber dinghy. She comes and stands at the front, her husband to be looking and saying, what's the deal? What's up? The preacher's saying, excuse me, ma'am, what's going on? You know what she said? Well, just in case he doesn't treat me the way I should be treated, and just in case he doesn't speak to me like the way I think I should be spoken to, I've got my escape just in case. I'm going to jump in my dinghy and I'm going to take off. Come on, you've got to cut the strings for the dinghies. Come on, a contract is all about that. There's strings attached with a contract. Come on, and that's why, you know what? If I, we allow our marriage to be a contract, it's probably going to end up in divorce. Why? Because there are always going to be times when we're not faithfully performing our duties towards each other. There's going to be times when, what? We get so busy that we neglect each other. There's going to be times when we speak harshly to each other. I know it's hard to believe, but that happens. I spoke harshly to my wife last week and I had to apologize. I know you don't believe that, but it's true. And she didn't even deserve it. I wish I could say she did. But she didn't. I had to go and apologize. There's always going to be times in our life that we're not going to fulfill everything that we need to do. We're not going to meet the standards. Come on, we're not going to be there all the time. We like to think we are, but most of the time when we really think we are, we're probably a whole lot further away from it than we really realize we are. There's going to be times you wake up in the morning and you don't have those warm, fuzzy feelings. There's going to be times when you look and you regret. There's going to be times when you look and you think, what did I do? What did I say? Why this, that? But those times are not legitimate reasons for divorce or termination as a contract demands. They're just more opportunities for us to die. They just present the fact that we're not dead enough. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, you're not dead enough yet. Come on, we need to continue to die. Continue to die. Read this scripture with me today, if you would, from Philippians 2, verse 5 through 8. Philippians 2, verse 5 and 8. I said, I love this scripture. Speaking of Jesus Christ, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he, he wasn't an imposter. He wasn't someone who was posing as something that he wasn't. He was equal with God. Why? Because Jesus is God. Come on, God the Father, God the Son, and Holy Spirit. The triune Godhead, three personalities, yet one in perfect unity. So he is God. So he wasn't wrong to consider himself equal with God. But what did he do? Look what it says in verse 7. But he made himself of no reputation. He took on the form of a bondservant and came in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So how did Jesus come? 
Did Jesus come with a contract? Did Jesus come and say, hey, listen, if you do this, then I'll do that. I'll do that if you do this. Is that how Jesus came? No, no, no. Jesus came to serve. Jesus came to give his life willingly for each one of us. His motivation didn't lie on what he deserved. Don't you think he deserves a whole lot more than we give him? Don't you think he deserves a whole lot more? That he has every right to turn around and say, why should I bless your life? Why should I do this for your life? But thank God for his grace. Thank God for his mercy. You see, he didn't come for him. He came for you. He came to humble his life, to give his life, and he came to die. Horrific death upon a cross. He came to die for us. In other words, he came to make it possible in whatever means to have a relationship with mankind. That's the image that we need to see in our lives. It's not about what I deserve. It's not about what I need. It's the fact that I need to die that makes the way for us to have a relationship together. That we can live in greatness. That we can live in life. Last year, I believe it was, we did a marriage course called Love and Respect. Here's a statement from Love and Respect. It says this. It's not what they deserve, but it's what they need. If you don't get anything else today, I'll write down that. That is powerful, 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 powerful. Because you see, we in this world today go on performance. If you perform, if you do, then I'll do. But what is the thought here? It's not what they deserve because most of the time they perhaps don't deserve it. But even though they don't deserve it, my responsibility is to still give them what they need. And in giving them what they need and not what they deserve, I will unlock in their heart their greatest need. I will meet their greatest need. But you've got to die to self to do that. You've got to die to self because it's hard to be nice to someone when they've slapped you up the side of the face. It's hard to say to someone you love them when they look at you square in the eye and say, I wished I'd never married you. It was the biggest mistake I ever made. So easy for us, isn't it, to get caught up in that and want to up that one more and say something even more hurtful or harmful. It's easy for us to get in that crazy zone where we're going out of control. But you know, it's so hard sometimes to even push through what they deserve and see the need. But that's what we've got to do through death through dying, through laying down our rights. You see, when we're single, we only have us to worry about and us to take care of. But in marriage, it's not just us. It's not just you. Come on, it's all about each one of us. It's, it's us. It's the two of us together. It's them too. It's together. It's each one of us. And I want to show you today the rights that we must lay down in our lives, what we must die to. Again, if you're married, you need to do this now. If you're not married, you need to be working on this, preparing on this. So when you do get married, your marriage is going to work because I'm telling you, I'm going to give you three rights to lay down today. And if you don't do this, I'm telling you, your marriage future tense will never work and the marriage you're in right now is going to struggle and probably going to end up in divorce. I'm not being negative, I'm not. I'm just telling you, if you want to live not according to God's word, you're going to see the results of that and it's not good. There is a way that seems right to man, the Bible says, but it's not good. It's a path of destruction and damnation. But guess what? There is a way that God wants to lead us in. It may be a narrow way. It may be a straight way, but it's leading us to life. 
it's a way of hope and it's a way of blessing. So I want to give you three rights in your life that you need to lay down first. Are you ready? You need to lay down your right to priority. You need to die to the fact that I'm the priority of my life. You can no longer be the most important person in your life. You must demote anything in your life that is more important to you than your spouse. Excluding God, of course, because he's number one. Got to know that. God has to be number one. Your spouse, the person you're dating, is your number two. And then after that, number three is your kids, and then it goes on after that. Pete's going to be talking to the marrieds about that on Wednesday. You need to be here talking about the order, because order matters when it comes to God. Maybe it doesn't matter for your life, but it matters with God. God has to be first, then your spouse. But we must give the right to each other to be the first priority in our lives. And we must be willing to give up anything and anyone that is perceived as any kind of competition to that position. Remember in the Garden of Eden, God said to Adam and Eve these words. God said in Genesis 2 verse 24, God says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and they shall become one in flesh. Have you ever thought about that? God is telling Adam and Eve that and Adam and Eve don't even know what a mother and father is. They didn't have a mother and father. God created them. So God wasn't really sharing that thought or that truth with them. I really believe God placed that truth there for us on February the 16th, 2014 at 1217 that we could realize there's a truth in here that we need to see. Why was that written? Why was God saying that? Here's why. Because we must leave. We must leave, not just be willing to leave. We we can talk about this a lot. A lot of people are willing to do something, but they never do it. Come on, a lot of people are willing. They want to go to the gym. Come on, I'm willing to go. I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. You never go. A willingness will never get you a buff body like this. Come on now, come on, come on, come on. A willingness, no matter how good your intent is, if you don't do, nothing's going to change. Well, maybe things are going to change. You're just going to be more frustrated. But it's not just a willingness. You must leave. The Bible says you've got to leave your mother and father. You've got to leave and cleave. But notice what it says. We must leave the most significant relationship in our lives and elevate our spouse into that position. God was showing Adam and Eve and us that the, one of the most important relationships in our lives is probably our interaction with our parents. And as we get married, God says, you've got to leave that most significant relationship. And now your spouse has to take that place in your life. I wonder what is your priority in your life right now? I wonder what your spouse would think is the priority that your life has right now. And trust me, if we were to ask each one of you, we would probably come up with many different answers. Because what you think is the priority of your life is maybe a whole lot different to what they see is the priority of your life. But you've got to ask these type of questions. In our marriages, in our home, we can't be afraid to ask these kind of questions. Because if we don't ask the questions with each other, Kelly, what do you see is the priority of my life? Philip, what do you see is the priority of my life? If we don't ask those questions, we'll never have the answers. But I realize even in my life, and I'll be guilty of this, and I'm just going to speak for me right now, I realize sometimes I don't ask questions because I'm afraid of the answers. 
I don't ask the questions because I'm afraid or maybe ashamed of what the answer is going to be. Because when you've got a confidence of knowing what you're doing, guess what happens? You can ask any question because you already pretty much know what the answer is. But when you're lacking in that area, when your spouse is not the most important person, come on, and your priorities are wrong, we don't ask that question because we pretty much already know the answer. What are you willing to give up and lay down in order to achieve the oneness that you need to experience heaven on earth in your marriage? God wants you to have that. You've got to lay down. You've got to die to your right to have a priority, to, for you to be the priority. That's the first step. Step number two, are you ready? You've got to lay down your right to ownership. You've got to lay down your right to ownership. I know this is not an easy shout amen message today. But you need to hear this today. It's no longer what's mine, but it's ours. It's not mine, it's ours. In our relationship, it's ours. I see a lot of selfishness in marriage today. I see a lot of selfishness in homes. They want their own way. They want their own stuff. Well, I've worked hard for that. I inherited that. I got that. That's mine. That's mine. That's mine. You've got to understand this. There is no mine. There's only ours in a relationship. The mine and yours attitude will only build a wall between the both of you and it allows Satan access. And two people can never become one when there's a dividing wall between them. You may be able to reach over the wall and touch each other a little bit, but you can never be one while there's division, while there is something between you. And there's nothing perhaps more in a relationship that can come between us than what not being willing to surrender the right of ownership. But I work hard. I got a job. I make more money than you. As I said at nine o'clock, it should never be a case I make more money than you because we make this much together. Come on. I, I may make less than you, but guess what? Put yours together and we make a whole lot more. Together, together, together. But ownership applies to more than what you think. It's more than just money and possessions. And I want to say this to every one of you. I believe this wholeheartedly. Kelly and I live this and and we believe this. I saw this from my mum and dad and that is this. Most homes today, they have two people working in the home. Let me give you some advice right now and try and help every one of you today with this. Have one bank account. Have a joint bank account. You can come up to some agreement that if the spouses are both working, you can say, hey, this much of money is yours to go out to the mall and go and buy some shoes and go and have play golf or do whatever you want. But together, we can come together because when you start saying, well, that's mine and then I'll pay this bill and you pay this bill, what are you doing? You are causing division in your home that God never intended. I really believe you're just making a way for a wedge to be between the two of you that Satan can come in and there can be division between. I just think you solve so much more by just saying it's ours. It's not mine. It's all ours. It's together. We work together. I just believe that's oneness. I believe when Jesus said you should be one, you should be one in every aspect of life. Come on, in every way, not just in one because we're married and we've got one name, but one in our bank, in our money, in our possessions, in our lives. And guess what? It doesn't stop. Ownership doesn't just stop with money and possessions. It goes to many other areas too, such as, guess what? your body. We're going to go there today. Is that cool? We're going to go there. Can you just fasten your seatbelts? We're in for a ride right now. We're going to talk about this. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 7. 
verse 3 and 4. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3 and 4 says this. Let the husband render or give freely to his wife the affection that is due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. What does that mean? We've got to do everything within our power to be everything our spouse needs. That we're the ones that's got to give them the affection. We're the ones that's got to give them what they need. But how do we do that? How do we do that? We've got to surrender our rights. We've got to die. But how do we do that? Look what it says in verse 4. And I want you to help me here. The wife does not have. Say with me, does not have. Come on, all the ladies in the house. Say with me, the wife does not have. She does not have authority or ownership or really control over what? Her body. Okay, all the ladies, you don't control your body. You don't have ownership over your body. But who does? The husband does. Okay, and likewise, the husband does not have. Come on, all the men in here say, the husband does not have. The husband does not have. He does not have authority, control, or ownership over what? His own body. But who has the control of his body? His wife. Now, men, I, I, I just know men in the house because I'm one myself. You know what we're saying here, man? She can have authority over this body whenever she wants. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. She can have it whenever she wants. Come on. But I want to add this. If you want her to have authority over this whenever she wants, then you need to get off the couch every now and again. Come on, you need to start taking out the trash when she asks you to do it and she's asked you hundreds of times to do. Because hold on, if she owns your body, she owns every part of your body. Come on, that means you need to get off your butt and go mow the grass sometimes. Come on, you need to wash the car. You need to be there to loosen the jar. You need to help a vacuum. The last time I checked, a vacuum fits both a male hand and a female hand. Come on, you need to be prepared to clean. You need to be prepared to do the laundry. You need to help with the kids. Guys, your body ain't just hers in bed. It's hers when she needs an extra hand. It's hers when she needs help. It's hers when she needs some strong muscles. Come on, because you belong to her. Okay, ladies, before you start shouting, just remember that this verse goes both ways. Just remember that. Just, just telling you. Come on, guys, look at your wife and say, two-way street, baby. Two-way street, babes. Come on, it's not a dead end. It's a two-way street. Come on, come on, come on, come on. So guess what, ladies? Your body ain't your own either. Your body ain't yours. He may not need you to take out the trash. He may not need you to run to the store, but he needs your body. All the ladies are thinking right now, here we go. They're just a bunch of perverts. Men are just a bunch of perverts. So all they want, just one track mind. I just see how they are. I want to explain to you ladies, if I may, we're just typical men. And if you would look in our heart, it doesn't say made in China. It says made by God. We are typical men that are made this way by God. Male and female, totally different. Our needs and what we desire are so different. Not wrong. We're just different. Just different. You see, ladies, men have a need for sex. It's not a desire. It's not a craving. It's a need. In fact, according to research, sex is one of man's greatest needs, second only to his need to be honoured and respected. 
After a man's respect and honor, his next greatest need is sex. So ladies, listen to me. When your husband needs your body, it's not yours to deny him. It's not yours to deny him. It's gone quiet in here now. (laughs) But you see, what it is, is it's each one of us. It's both of us laying down our rights to ownership and giving ourselves and saying, it's not mine anymore, but it's ours. It's ours. If that makes you uncomfortable today, you better remember your vow that says, no matter what, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, to good in the good times and in the bad times, I value you more than anyone else. You're the love of my life. You're the choice of my life. So when we think about repulsing, giving them that they're in control, there's nothing greater, I think, of a thought in my mind to say that Kelly controls my life. And I pray that she feels the same way, that she can trust me that I'm going to control hers. No, they may not always deserve it but neither do you. But that's what they need. And we must meet the needs of each other because if you meet his needs, ladies, guess what will happen? He'll meet your needs. Guys, if you meet her needs, guess what she'll do? She'll meet your needs. But what happens when we turn around and say, but she doesn't deserve it, guess what? No needs are met. And then there's problems. You see, you've got to lay down your right. You've got to die to the fact, what, that you're in ownership. Come on, this ain't mine. This is Kelly's. Come on, it's all hers. And that's what we've got to realize in our lives. We've got to die to what we think. And you've got to grasp this. You've got to grab a hold of this today. Is this good stuff today? Yeah. Point number three, right number three. Are you ready? You've got to die to your right to privacy. You've got to die to your right to privacy. In other words, you've got to die to the fact of keeping secrets and hiding stuff from each other. In our house, Kelly and I have made this determination. We, we, we talked about it. It's not just something that we just woke up and, and we hope is in place. We know this is in place. Kelly and I have made a commitment to each other that nothing's off limits. Nothing's off limits. If she wants to ask me anything, whatever. If I've got anything that's locked as a password or anything like that, Kelly's got access to everything. There is nothing that I have on my phone. There is nothing that I have on my computer. There is nothing that I have on my iPad. There is nothing that I have anywhere in my home that is someplace where I say to Kelly, this is mine. You cannot have access to that. Kelly has got complete access to everything I have. Everything I have. Like the other night, Kelly said to me, Philip, I want to see your phone. Grabbed it and didn't even say, what do you want it for? She grabbed my phone. She wasn't looking at anything. She had sent me a text that day and she just wanted to delete it because there were some nice things in there that other people didn't need to see. But she just wanted to delete it. I didn't say, oh, what's she going to see on my phone? There wasn't any terror or any fear. Why? Because my right to privacy is dead. I have nothing to hide, so therefore I have nothing to worry about. We have chosen to build our relationship upon trust. And now I don't have to worry in the middle of the night to wake up and see her on my side of the bed looking in my phone and trying to sneak around. I don't have to worry about her going into my computer in the middle of the night and trying to see what I've been viewing on my web search and all these things. I don't have to worry about that. And she doesn't have to worry about that with me because if there is something, we've got a relationship where I would say, Kelly, there's just something we need to talk about. And Kelly would say to me, Philip, there's some things that we need to talk about. 
And we've talked about some stuff. I want you to know that. We're not perfect. We still have some issues and things just like everyone else. We're human like you. We have to choose to do things right. Luke said to me the other day, I was talking to Luke about something. And I said, Luke, you've got to make the right decisions. And he said, well, it's easy for you. I said, why? He said, because you're a pastor. I said, do you think that just means that I make the right decisions because I'm a pastor? A pastor isn't who I am. A pastor is what I do. And what I do is a result of who I am. And I said to Luke, I've got to make the decisions, not just because I'm a pastor. And it doesn't mean that I'm bulletproof from everything else. I'm a man like everyone else. I have the struggles like everyone else. I've got to face these things. But you know what? The worst thing I can do is live in my marriage instead of die. And I've got to surrender my right to privacy. My dad, Pastor Alan, he talked about this on on Wednesday night. To all the married people, he talked about three things that will destroy intimacy in a marriage. And secrets or privacy is one of the things. The other two is sin and silence. But we must give each other the right, listen to this, to have freedom and unhindered access to every aspect of our life. Including the right to complain about or confront each other on any issue without the fear of retaliation or being belittled. We need to have that. Well, that's just stupid. Just get over it and shut up. I don't want to talk about it. She's not going to talk to you anymore, guys, if that's your response. You've got to have an openness and a freedom that she can come to you, even if it's things that maybe are not right, but you can help her see they're not right, not by your negative response, but by being understanding and listening and hearing where she comes from and not belittling her. I want you to listen to me and and let me give you some really, really good advice today, okay? If your spouse cannot open up to you and feel comfortable discussing with you what's going on inside of them, they're going to find someone else to talk to. And the person they're going to find who they're going to talk to is probably not going to result in something good. It's not going to be good. I don't believe a good-willed person because we pray that every one of you here are in good-willed. We pray that every one of you wants a blessed marriage. We pray that you want to be what God wants you to be and has called you to be for your spouse. And if you're not married yet, we pray that you have those same feelings that when you get married. So we just believe in today that everyone is good-willed in here. I don't believe for one second that a good-willed person wakes up one morning and says these words, I'm going to have an affair today. It just doesn't happen. A good-willed person doesn't just wake up and say, that's what I'm going to do, because that's not how it starts. That's not the initial intent. They just long for someone to listen to them and not just to hear them. Big difference between hearing and listening. They want someone to show interest in them. They want someone to take time to understand what's going on inside of them. And listen, that's how you go down that slippery slope. And that's how you find. And you've got to determine right now that your right to privacy is over. And you have that person you can talk to and that's your spouse. You've got to start talking to each other. You've got to make yourself approachable. Guys, I know it's uncomfortable when, when your wife says, we want to talk. And and things like that. We can get really uncomfortable with that because when she says she wants to talk, she talks. Most of the time she don't want to hear your input. She just wants to talk and 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 talk. And she'll talk herself right into her solution that you could have done in two minutes. But you have 30, 40 minutes later, she's got right there. 
Sometimes she needs that. She just needs to talk. She just needs to talk. You need to know to say, do you want me just to listen or do you want my solution? Because guys, if you give her a solution when she just wants you to listen, watch out. World War III is going to hit your home. Because she's going to say something like this. If I wanted your opinion, I'd have asked for it. She's not going to say it quite as nice as that either. But you've got to be that person your spouse needs. You've got to surrender your rights to silence and secrets and privacy. And you've got to say, there's nothing off limits. Everything is on limits. Everything is yours. Have it all. Here's what I encourage you to do. I encourage you to have what I call free speech nights. A free speech night that the two of you can just sit down one night and say, we're going to have a free speech night tonight. And here's what we're going to do. I want you to have the opportunity where you can voice any issues, any problems, any needs, any frustrations or any feelings. I'm not going to shut you down. I'm not going to tell you you're stupid. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I'm not going to belittle your feelings. I just want you to get everything out and then I can get everything out and then we can just talk about it together. I think that is so powerful. In fact, we're going to help you do that next week. We're going to give every one of you married couples an elephant, a little elephant. We're going to call it the elephant in the room. We'll explain it more next week. But basically what's going to happen is if as a husband and wife you need to talk about it, you can take the elephant out and you can put it on the counter or you can put it on the pillow. So husbands, when you get home and you see the elephant, we've got to talk. Wives, if you see that elephant, we need to talk. We Why? Because we want to create that. Kelly said to me, Philip, all the ladies in the church are going to absolutely love you and all the men are going to hate you. But we should all be loved. Why? Because if there's things that need to be addressed and taught, come on, we're laying down our rights to privacy. We're dying to that. We're dying to that. For what reason? So we can live. Remember Genesis 2 verse 25. What does the Bible say of Adam and Eve? That they were both naked. And the man and his wife were not ashamed. They were naked and unashamed. There was nothing hidden. There was nothing out of sight. All was out in the open. Anyone quoted me that week? To this week, on, I said you could quote me on that. It's time to get naked. Anyone quote me on that? You can use it again this week if you didn't use it last week. Hit your neighbor and say he's almost done and you better be listening. Look at this statement. Secrecy only brings shame. Secrecy only brings shame. Marriage must be two people dying to their rights. To be right with each other. To create an atmosphere of acceptance and encouragement where you can truly be one together. And in doing that, watch for your tones. Watch for your body languages. Watch for the fact of dismissing their feelings. So as I bring all this to a close today, I hope you've learned some life-changing truths. But notice this, marriage is two people willing to die to become part of a covenant. Marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. The word covenant in its original term means to cut. What would happen in years gone by in biblical times, in the older times, if they made a covenant with each other, they would slice their hands with a knife or slice their wrists, not as in committing suicide, but they would just slice and they would join their hands or their wrists together and they would join together and their blood would flow to each other and that would be the contract, the covenant rather. It would be a covenant that would be sealed in blood. God literally, we saw last week, he cut Adam's side. And what did he do? He took woman from her as a covenant of a relationship. A covenant marriage says, I give up my rights in order to meet your needs, even to the point of death. I will also assume great responsibility 
for the success of our marriage. That's what a covenant says. Of course, it helps if both are committed to that. But may I remind you today, a covenant begins with you. Listen to me today. If you are the only one in your home that is fulfilling and being what you think marriage should be, and your spouse is not fulfilling that position, because marriage is a covenant and not a contract, it's still your response and it's still your duty to do so. You see, a contract will free you from the obligation if the other party doesn't do their part. If they don't live up to the agreement, then the contract is null and void. But a covenant is not like that because a covenant, however, states that you are committed to take up the responsibility. So no matter what your spouse does, there is no out for you. All the responsibility is yours. Now, I know in some of your lives, and we've counseled with some of you and talked with you, you've prayed, you've sought God, you've done everything you can, and your spouse still wants to go. and, And there's nothing you can do against that. I understand that. But a covenant is that which is irrevocable, unconditional, and unbreakable. And you must die to see a covenant fulfilled in your life. I know this is foreign to what we see and hear around us today. Because the world's love is self-love. The world's love is loving yourself and not picking up the responsibility of others. The world's love is holding on to your rights. Fight for your rights. Women's rights. Home rights. All these rights. Fight for your rights. Remember what we read at the beginning? In order to be right, I must be right with them. I want to read this as I close today. Husbands, have you ever said this in a conversation in your head? She wants me to do what for her? How can she expect me to go out of my way when she is so disrespectful to me? I mean, she doesn't even appreciate that I work hard every day and I give her this type of lifestyle. And the day I do all that for her is the day that she gives me so little recognition. What about you, wives? Does this sound familiar to you? If he touches me one more time. Doesn't he see the anger on my face? I mean, he walks in here, he ignores the kids, he sits down in front of the TV without so much as even asking, how was your day? And then he wants me to fall all over him when the light goes out. Well, guess what? He can just forget it. Husbands and wives, man and woman, God doesn't hold you responsible for how your spouse treats you. But he will require an answer from you on how you treat them. God's not going to judge you on how they treat you. But you're going to have to give an account on the fact of how you treated them. Oh, but they... That's a contract. Marriage is a covenant. A covenant says no matter what they do, I'm still going to love them. Still going to cherish them. Still going to respect them. Still going to honor them. Why? Because I'm not doing what they deserve. I'm meeting their need. And if I meet their need, guess what happens? They'll begin to meet my need. You can't do that while you live. There's no way you can do that while living. 
There's no way you can do that while you still want your way and you still want it how you want it. You can't find that because in the natural, everything inside of you is going to scream out and say, but that's not fair because I deserve better and I should have better and they should be better to me. You've got to die to that. You've got to die to what you want. You've got to surrender your rights. You've got to give everything. And no matter how they treat you, God says you've got to treat them right and do what's right. Because you see, while two people are doing wrong, there's never going to be a right. But it only takes one person to break that cycle. Why don't you be the one? What was the challenge we had before? The most mature one moves first. Be the most mature in your family, in your home. So the question is today, do you want to be right? You can be. Or do you want to be right before them? There's only oneness. The only way we can have oneness in our homes and in our marriage is through death. Which we discovered will produce life. And that life will produce heaven on earth in our homes. You've got to surrender your rights. You've got to die so that you can live. Would you stand to your feet with me today? Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. You've got to die to live. Because in living you're going to die. Did you hear that? You've got to die to live because in living you're going to die. Your marriage is going to die if you live. Your family's going to die. Your future's going to die. The only way you can live is through death. Because if you live, you're going to die. But if you die, you're going to live. Here's what I want to do right now. If your spouse is beside you or the person that you're in a relationship with, maybe engaged with or just in a relationship with, if they're standing beside you, can you just take their hand right now? If you're single or your spouse is not here, then here's what I want everyone else to do in the house. I want you to take your hand and put it over your heart right now. Why would you say that? We talked about it last week, that when we're single, we can be in a vulnerable situation. And the most important thing that we can guard in that relationship is our heart. That we're not going to just throw our heart out there and just give it to anyone. And just surrender it to the first person that says, girl, you look good. Or, wow, aren't you handsome? That we're not just being fooled by those things, but yet we're guarding our hearts. We're guarding our minds. And I want to pray for everyone in this place. I want to pray for every couple. I want to pray for every single person. I just want to pray a prayer over you today. And I want you to pray with me. Because as I said in the first service, how many people would nod your head? Because I don't want you to lift your hands because you're probably holding some. How many would just nod their head and say, Pastor Philip, you said some things today that I needed to hear. Come on, who's going to nod their head? How many would keep nodding their head and say, Pastor Philip, you challenged me on some things that I'm not doing in my life. Come on, anyone? Anyone? Anyone feel like one of those bobbleheads right now? You're just bobbling and bobbling because, yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah you're right. You, you nailed me. You nailed me, Pastor, today. Well, let's pray and give it to God. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray for every home that's represented here. We pray for every family. We pray for every marriage. God, we just speak life right now into every marriage and every home right now. And God, we realize that life comes through death, that we've got to die to our pride. We've got to die to our selfishness. We've got to die to our agenda, God. And instead, God, it's not mine. It's ours. 
It's coming together. It's relinquishing my rights of, of authority. It's relinquishing my rights of ownership. It's relinquishing my rights of all these things that I have, ownership and privacy. And it's giving them to you, God, and saying, God, I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And I want you to teach me how to be the husband, how to be the wife, how to be the person that, God, you've called me to be. And God, I pray that you would do that, God. And to all the single people, God, I just pray that you would help them right now just to get it right. God, that when we are, when you bring that person to our lives, God, that special person, that number two, because you're our number one, that when you bring that number two to our lives, God, we'll be prepared, we'll be ready to lay down our rights and to realize, God, what it takes to see a blessed, fulfilled marriage. Bless our homes, bless our marriage, bless our future, we pray. Jesus name. Amen. Just turn and give your husband or wife a big smooch right now and just love on them. Just love on them. But just before we dismiss the service, just one, just one, just one. Go easy, go easy, go easy. You're in a public place. Don't embarrass us now. But just before we dismiss the service today, I talked earlier of the example of Christ, that he laid down his life that we can live. And only truly living can we find life when we surrender our lives and give our lives to him when we give our lives to him and I wonder today if there's anyone here that would say I want to give my life to Christ I I want him to be the Lord and Savior of my life I, I want to surrender everything maybe you've done this past tense but you know your life is not where it needs to be today but you want to make it right with God is there anyone that would lift up their hand and say pastor that's me would you pray for me today is there anyone thank you sweetheart Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Is there anyone else that would lift up their hand and say, that's me, pastor, that's me, that's me. I want to pray that prayer with you today. I want to just do something. Those that lifted up their hand, could they just come and stand with me here at the front? We're going to have some people that are going to come and stand with you. Come on, let's welcome them as they come. Fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. Fantastic. We just want to love on you today. We just want to tell you how special you are and just pray for you today. And we're going to pray. Would you join with me today as we pray together? And we just ask God's blessing right now. Would you join with me and say, Dear Heavenly Father, sorry for my sins and the life that I've lived. But right now, I give everything to you. I surrender my heart to you. I surrender my rights. And I yield everything to you. I thank you, God, that you have promised to come into my heart and life to change me, to make me new. And I thank you for that today. I thank you that you're awesome. I thank you that you love me. In Jesus' name, amen. We would like to thank you for listening to our message on Together. We pray that what you have just heard will change your life and bring new freedom to your marriage and home. If you need any more information or just someone to listen, we are always here for you. Call us at area code 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us or visit our website at www.hflc.us. Have a blessed day. And remember, when you put God first, everything you do will prosper.